Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these catalogued, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So, rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith and also compatible with our current condition. In this series... And at this point, I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes. I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. So today I want to talk about what we call the sunnas of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And... This uh, principle or uh, you know, meta-concept that we have is actually in, in the traditional study of Islamic sciences is relatively new subject. So it's really a subject that the ulama have only started paying attention to for the last hundred years or so. And that doesn't mean that they didn't pay attention to it before, but they are starting to pay attention to it now as a separate subject matter. So throughout Islamic history, especially in like the first five centuries, new disciplines and new sciences were generated and became, you know, their own disciplines separate from other disciplines. So for example, a very simple example is the, is the discipline of inheritance law. Inheritance law is, is part of the Sharia, but because it's so complex, sometimes it's treated as, a, as its own discipline altogether. So it splits off from fiqh, and then you have your, a separate subject matter that deals with inheritance law. So some uh, Sharia manuals will not discuss inheritance because they will leave that to the people that are experts in inheritance law. And so on and so forth, so many of the sciences. So this is one of those instances where the ulama, of course, were aware of this, uh, but the, the topic of th- this topic that we're going to get into is found amongst other topics. But now it's becoming slowly written about independently. And throughout the Qur'an, you know, God refers to this. So, for example, in Surah Fatir, uh, verse 43, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَنْ تَجِدَ لِسُنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَبْدِيلًا وَلَنْ تَجِدَ لِسُنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَحْوِيلًا You will not find uh, change in God's sunnas, sunnatillah. Uh, you will not alter it and you will not change it. So in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indicates that there's a certain way that the world works. There are certain patterns, certain principles, certain concepts, certain axioms that God generates for us to reflect upon. And these are not going to change. Uh, in, in our um, observation of the world, sometimes we don't see it because we are so used to this sunnah acting that it becomes habitual. So A causes B, it's just sort of a habit for us. And we don't stop to reflect, well, this is like a pattern. And we start reflecting on it as a pattern. We'll get into that. And if you look at history, history is replete with patterns. So the Qur'an talks about, you know, the, the stories of the people before us. Most of the stories of the Qur'an, the vast majority are stories of the previous prophets. So historically we have the people before us. If we look to history, we see um, patterns of war and peace. We see uh, patterns of politics and statecraft. So that's in history. Scientifically, we look at the observable universe. We look at the animals, uh, animal kingdom, plant life, uh, the star, astronomy, etc. All of these provide for us patterns, sunnas of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Psychology, whether it's our individual self, whether it's the family dynamic, whether it's group dynamic, society, in the way we act and interact with ourselves, with each other, uh, the fluctuation of emotions, how we deal with trauma, uh, how we deal with stress, how we deal with happiness, love, all of these things in the human interaction with these are patterns again. And for us as believers, we refer to these as the patterns of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sunnatullah. So the question then is, where do we draw these sunnas from. So if we take it sort of step by step. First, obviously, is the Qur'an. So there are many verses in the Qur'an that talk about, about certain pattern that God has set up. The observable universe, so the world around us, the physical world around us, whether it be earth or whether it be the universe beyond earth, all of that we refer to as the, I, I translate as the observable universe. Uh, but it's important for us to understand that when God talks about contemplating the, the heavens in, in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means everything that we can uh, physically see, whether with the naked eye or with the aided eye, you know, all of what we see with all of our most advanced telescopes, this is what we refer to as the heavens and the earth. The, what I say is the observable universe. And then thirdly, ourselves. So in... In us as, as, as creation, <coughs> in us as, as humans, you know, men and women, old and young, different races, etc., we also have within us these signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these principles, these sunnas. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So these are the three areas from which we, we generate these sunnas. And to this effect, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Fusilat, Ayah 53, we will show them our signs, our, our ayahs, 
in the heavens and the earth, you know, in the observable universe and in themselves until it will be manifest that what we are saying is the truth. So sometimes when you just think about your own self or, the, or a person in general and you reflect on how people um, interact and act and react, we generate these sunnas. Now, why is this important is because for us, when we see these patterns today, we say, subhanAllah. That's why all of this is important. Whereas when somebody else that doesn't believe sees these patterns, they draw another set of conclusions. So if you're a believer and you read, for example, the works of Darwin, or you read the works of Freud, uh, or Jung, or something like that, you will say, subhanAllah, this reminds me of this verse. This reminds me of this hadith. But all we are saying is that's not the whole story. There's also more to it because there's a larger paradigm. For somebody else, they will see that and they will be guided to, to another direction. So they will see uh, the writings of Darwin and the concept of evolution and you know, the things that people are finding. And I think even recently something was found, uh, tools were found uh, that, you know, that puts uh, organized uh, communities of, of the humanoids you know, X million of years prior to what we... So when I see that, I'm like, oh, ma mashallah, that's amazing. It, that doesn't scare like, the person that believes because we know that God has these patterns, these principles. But for somebody else, they see something else. And this is why it's important that we remember that this is one of our pr meta principles by which we interact with ourselves, with our faith and the world uh, around us. So we'll look at history, the self, and the observable universe. So if we look at history, as I mentioned a little while ago, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a lot of stories about the people before us. And one of the things that we learn from those stories is every prophet that God sent had some kind of enemy. Either like an arch enemy with like Moses, there's Pharaoh, right? Or an enemy, uh, the people. But you know, when you read that, you come with the conclusion that being a prophet was not an easy job. It, it's not... You know, that's why they were selected. You know, no one said I was born and like my dream is to become a prophet, you know, because you'd be insane if, well, first of all, you wouldn't be chosen if that's what you wanted. But you can't, you don't, who would want that kind of uh, responsibility? But one of the patterns that we see is that every prophet is sent the people, people in authority, the authority structure, the state, uh, the sta people that, that have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo become the enemies even Prophet Muhammad So one of the patterns that we get from that is that the people that follow the path of prophet, the prophets, because in our tradition, of course, there are no more prophets after Sayyidina Muhammad I hope people know that and they got that memo. That's one of our you know, articles of belief. Uh, and, but the Prophet told us, that the ulama, the scholars, are the inheritors of the prophet. The prophets. So when we set out to study what we call sacred knowledge, the Sharia, Quran, Hadith, Usul uh, al-Fiqh, uh, Aqidah, uh, all of these, what we call the sacred sciences, this is grabbing part of the inheritance of the prophets. And therefore, part of that inheritance is also dealing with the nonsense that comes with it. And that's why every buddy that, that does da'wah, that does teaching of, of the sacred sciences, 
has their share of, not, I won't say enemies, but has their share of difficulties in that path. It's not an easy path. And, and this is something that we lament. It's not like a happy reality, but it is a reality. And all of the people that I studied with, all of them uh, would share with us the stories of the difficulties that they've had. I have seen, or, or, I have been in an environment where I have seen teachers being physically accosted. You know, one of my teachers was punched in the mosque and his eye was bleeding uh, because somebody came and argued with him. I have seen uh, people curse the ulama. I have seen people uh, write lies about the ulama. One of my teachers, somebody took um, the, the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is an established fabrication, has taken an Arabic translation and put one of my teacher's name as the introduction to that book. I mean, this is a complete, <laughs> like, like this is a libel and all of the things that you could think about. Complete lie, right? And having to deal with that at a national level and having to issue press, press releases and, and all of these, talking to whoever published the book. So part of what the ulama do is they, they have to bear this burden. So this is one of those sunnas. So when you see that, you know that that comes, comes with the territory. That's why whenever anybody does what I try to do, I always say, you must be just as crazy as I am because why on earth would you want to do that? This is the, the, the hardest thing. And not that I'm uh, an important person, but I've, I have also had my share. I've had people lie about me and make up things about me uh, and things like that. So this is one of the sunnas, power, political power. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, These days we alternate power between people. God gives power and He takes power. He gives dominion and He takes dominion. And in this we see the power historically is something that is very difficult to hold on to for, for you know, X number of years or X number of generations. That any political power loses that power. But doesn't lose that power completely, it sort of slides and is evened out and then is evened out yet again. And this is a pattern. And this is one of the reasons why God gives us all of these stories of all of these people. And we know from our own religious history, the interaction with the Muslims and the Persians, the interaction with the Muslims and the Byzantians, which were like the main powers at the time, and how, uh, you know, maybe even a generation before the Prophet ﷺ, the idea that this like ragtime group of Arabs in the middle of the peninsula could fight these two superpowers would have been ludicrous. No one would have ever thought, thought about that. But it changed. And this is one of Allah's patterns, that power is never consolidated with one group for, for too long. Here I'm talking about political power, okay? Uh, you know, we, there's, we talk about, for example, the decline of the Roman Empire. The decline of the Roman Empire took 500 years. So when Allah uses the words, we alternate the power between people sometimes that takes time it's not like night and day and you know one instant or you know one moment sometimes it is but more often than not it's a sort of a slow transfer of power etc so this is for example very simple examples from what we could refer to as history if we look to ourselves what are the sunnas that we glean from analyzing the self I mentioned earlier, you know, Freud, Jung, these type of, uh, uh, you know, revolutionaries that try to revolutionize the study of the human mind and the self, etc. And when you read 
something like Freud or, or, or Jung or, or these others, you might be quick to say, oh, that's ridiculous, right? We don't believe in that. But no, that's not necessarily true because these are theories and observations. But for us, the self is not one self. We talked about in the series on Islamic spirituality that the self are multiple selves. The Quran talks about the human being having multiple selves, multiple levels of the self. So maybe Freud's conclusions or somebody like Freud or whoever you, know, you want to point to in that subject... Maybe they're observing like the first two levels of the self, a nafs al-ammara bisu and a nafs al-lawama, you know, the self that calls to bad actions and the blameworthy self. But for us, we know that there are other levels. So we also have sunnas that we can glean from that. And we have a history uh, of, of pious people, uh, saints in Islam, and we learn from their stories. The reason we have their stories is we can see what the human potential is spiritually. So what, what does a person look like at a higher level of the self? Okay, Again, these are the sunnahs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The patterns, the principles by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the human being and created the human condition. And when we learn these principles, they give us a deeper insight in how to deal with others in a community because now one of the challenges we have is everybody is connected to everybody else. And, you know, anything can happen in any part of the world. And right now, as we're sitting together, you could know about it. You know, there's a, a calamity here or a calamity there. And people are sharing videos of this and videos of that that are, you know, tens of time zones away. But you see it right now. So what ends up happening is we are, because of the power of communications and the power of, of, of technology, we, we all live together, you know, in the cloud almost. And because of that, we will interact with other people, we will interact with other psychologies, we will interact with other experiences. So we want to know what are the sunnahs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in creation, so we know how to work with that and how we can deal with that. So we receive that as something positive and not something negative. Because the diversity of the human condition for us is part of creation, right? We believe that this is why we were created different on purpose, so that we can all know each other. So we don't want to get lost in, in, the, in the flow of communication. The observable universe, some of the patterns and the principles, the sunnahs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of them, for example, is symbiotic relationships. So Allah always talks about the patterns. He talks about the night and the day. He talks about the man and the woman. Of, of various you know, ages. He talks about the ruler and the ruled, or government and the people, the rich and the poor. So there are all of these dualities, or there are all of these symbiotic relationships, because you can't have night without the day. You can't have the day without the night. And that's why when God talks about the night and the day, and the alternating of the night and the, of the day, He talks about the night sliding into the day, and the day sliding into the night. That they move because it's gradual, right? When Maghrib comes, it's a gradual decrease of the day and transition into the night. And then when Fajr comes, followed by sunrise, it's a gradual end of the night and a beginning of the day. But you can't have one without the other. So they're needed. So when we reflect on this idea of symbiotic relationship, then we realize that the differences 
are done on purpose for each other. So then one of the conclusions that we could come to, for example, is that society, civilization, people, races, language groups are meant to be different because we need each other. And therefore the default is not tension or clash, but the default is we all need each other. This doesn't mean that there won't be any tension. Of course there will be tension and war and, and uh, negative things, but that's not the default. So if you think about this principle, that Allah has created these, they're not always pairs like one and two, but, but for the simplicity of the discussion, let us say these, these, these pairs and the symbiotic relationship between them, and if we understand that the, 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 they are needed for the mutual benefit of each other, then you can take that principle and go to a subject like jihad and make more sense of it. Because you see that jihad here understood as, as, as warfare, not like jihad and nafs and all of that stuff, but I'm here I'm talking about Islam's concept of just war. You can see how the goal of, of war as conceived by the sharia is really just to achieve peace that cannot be achieved by other means at that moment. But it's just a means to that end. Because the default is peace. The default is mutual respect and mutual benefit and the symbiotic relationship between people. But if you cut off this principle of the symbiotic relationship, and all you think about is the verses and the hadith about jihad, you know, that's where that's how you go down that path that ISIS is on, because that's all you see is is war for the sake of war, hate for the sake of hate. But for people, Muslims like us, we say, no, it's, it's, it, that doesn't make any sense. That natural, it doesn't make any sense. This is why it doesn't make any sense. Because this is not the, the way that God talks about the differences. God has created us into different tribes and nations so that we can know one another. Allah says in Surah Al-Hujurat, لِتَعَارَفُوا Both sides know one another. So the differences are meant to help each other. Both are needed. And that's the default. So then we, we look to that pattern to find the default. Something else that we get from another example of the pattern are checks and balances. So God says in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 251, Were it not that God checks one group of people by another group of people, there will be like this facade, <clears throat> there will be facade, there will be this fitna, there will be this tribulation on earth. So it's very rare that there would be emerge uh, one group that has total dominion over everybody else. I mean, it's happened at times, but then it, 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 like, it fizzles out. So you can think of the Mongols, you know, Genghis Khan, that period in history. You know, there was a time where, where everyone thought that's it. I mean, he's just going to take over everything. But not only was that thwarted, but after Genghis Khan died and his children, everything got split up, the children that were in the, in the Muslim part, they became Muslim within like two or three generations. So it, it like dissolved inside of Islam. So they conquered Muslim lands, and then within a couple of generations, they became Muslims themselves. So you see that's a pattern. God is showing us that that's a pattern. Uh, more recently we look at you know, World War II, uh, which for as Westerners maybe is, is one of the more, well it's not recent, but one of the more um, 
incidents that we can we can make immediate sense of. There was a time where we thought this would be the collapse of of Western Europe. You know, Hitler and and the the onslaught of the Nazi invasion of Western Europe. Uh, but look, it ended essentially because the the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, so America got involved, and then America was then able to through an official declaration of war, get involved in the war. So when we see that, we say, subhanAllah. That's the point of what we're talking about, is that we don't negate the, the mechanics that are at play and the history that's at play. But all we do is we say, subhanAllah, that God checks a group of people by another group of people. So we see this as a pattern. And we understand that this is the way the world works. Another example from, from the observable universe, maybe, maybe that was checks and balances was more historic, but one from uh, the observable universe is balance. God uses the word mizan, balance all throughout the Qur'an, to talk about the balance of nature, to talk about the balance of justice, to talk about literally the balance, uh, the, the, the scales when you trade, you know, not to like rob people when you trade. Wailun al mutaffifin, you know, that chapter is about people that rob people in the, on the, the balance scales. You know, don't we have a department for ways and means, right? I mean, this is part of commerce, is things have to be weighed correctly and, and, and therefore priced accordingly. So, this is a pattern that God has created the world in balance, the nature is in balance. The environment is in balance. And therefore, the interaction between human beings needs to be based on justice, needs to be on the scales. Don't we say the scales of justice? right? And Lady Justice is the statue of the lady that's blindfolded holding the scale. So even in our legal tradition, in, our, in the Western legal tradition, we even refer to the scales of justice and literally the scales of commerce. And we talk about the balance of nature. And this is a sunnah, this is a pattern that God has created for us. So as the world around us is created in balance for mankind, and, and by mankind, of course, I mean men and women, to live symbiotically in the environment, so do our interactions with each other need to be based on these patterns. So this is just a very brief overview. This is obviously in itself its own subject. But... It, it's part of the larger discussion of our principles, first principles. And uh, one of these first principles for us is to know the patterns, the rules, the axioms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created in the world, which we refer to as the sunnahs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and these patterns are, are very important. Wallahu alam.